When Bishop Moody called me, or texted me rather, and told me he was sick, I'm going to be transparent with you and tell you that, of course, I hadn't studied this week. And I told Angie, I said, I'm not going to get too tore up about it. I've literally got hundreds of messages. I'll just look through those and I'll pick something out. And immediately, almost, the Lord spoke to me and just said, no, open your word. I've got something I want you to bring to my people. And for the next at least couple of weeks, I would like for us to take a look at our table, if you will. As we approach a new season for our church, I don't think that there's any better time that we could take a closer look at and examine our table than just before we expand it. There's a saying that goes like this, and for you ladies that love Hobby Lobby, I've seen it in there when I go in with Angie at least a dozen times on multiple pictures. But the saying says this, when you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. When you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. So before we get there, I want us to have a few table talks about this table that the Lord has put together. See, this is the place that we come and dine at each week. This is the table that we gather at to feast upon the Lord and to fellowship with one another. And I believe that God wants to speak to us today about that table. I don't believe that what I say is just pertinent to where we're going. I believe that it's for right here where we are right now as well. Now, I don't know what it was like in your home when you were growing up, but uh, in my house, we were taught some table manners. Was anybody taught table manners? I didn't expect a lot of hands. We're in a day and a time. There's not a lot of table manner teaching going on. But anyway, in my house, we were taught some table manners. Now, we had some very specific manners that we were taught. I was musical. My dad was musical. My sister was musical. My mother was not musical. She would sing, but she was not musical. She made a joyful noise to the Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But we had some rules at our house, and my dad set the rules for the table, and one of those rules was there was no singing at the table. There was no whistling at the table. Another one of those rules was you don't start eating until everybody else is served. Another one of those rules was don't reach over somebody else's plate for something. Ask them to pass you what you need. Is anybody with me this morning? I'm going to go somewhere, so just stay with me. Another one of those table manner rules was chew with your mouth closed. Right? My mom had a couple rules. One was don't talk with food in your mouth. And the other one was no smacking. How many knows what smacking is? sit down and eat there's no smacking at my house then young people listen to me because I think you probably don't have a clue what this is like but when you got done you had to take your plate to the sink when you were finished anybody remember that one and then the one that seemed kind of horrible when I was a kid and young at the time you couldn't leave the table until everybody was finished eating or you were dismissed anybody remember that that didn't turn out to be so bad when I was younger. But after Angie and I started dating and I began to get in that family, I thought that I would reach retirement age before Nita Crawford ever got finished with a meal. 
Not because she eats a lot, just because she talks to you the whole time she eats, and then she eats really, really super slow. And so, but then I learned it wasn't a big deal in their house if I excused myself from the table before she was done. So she's a great cook, and I love to eat her cooking, so I was good. But those were just some of the manners, table manners that we were taught when I was growing up. What the Lord directed me to this week was if you really look at Scripture and study Scripture, Jesus' whole ministry was marked by fellowship, it was marked by communion, and it was marked by eating with a variety of people. And at some point in his ministry, Jesus felt that it was necessary enough to literally share a set of table manners for those who were gathered at the table. And I believe he did that because those manners were uh, picturesque and they were instructions for us at our spiritual table with the Lord. So I want us to look at these specific manners uh, that we need to follow if we want to stay at the Lord's table. Because you can dine at a lot of tables, but not every table is the Lord's table. If you'll stand with me all over the room today, I'm going to read out of the book of Luke. Abby actually already alluded in her uh, call to worship. Uh, in the same book, uh, they were seated at the table when she gave you the uh, the story of the lady with the alabaster box. This is another time they were seated at the table. I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to be reading out of the message translation today. I don't do that a whole lot for my main text, but I love uh, the, the simplicity and the clarity of this. So Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. One time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees, all the guests had their eyes on him watching his every move. Right before him, there was a man hugely swollen in his joints. So Jesus asked the religious scholars and the Pharisees present, Is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no? They were silent. So he took the man, he healed him, and he sent him on his way. Then he said, Is there anyone here who, if a child or an animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately? Not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath. They were stumped. There was nothing they could say to that. Verse 7, he went on to tell a story to the guests around the table, noticing how each had tried to elbow, remember that, into the place of honor. He said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call out in front of everybody, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Embarrassed, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, don't go sit or go and sit in the last place. And then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around all high and mighty, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, talking to the host, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You will be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. I want to preach to you for a few moments today. I don't know if this will be two or three messages. We're going to title Table Talk. Today we're going to talk about manners. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every precious person assembled here. 
We thank you, God, for how you've orchestrated every aspect of this day as you're communicating to your people. So I pray for the next few moments, Lord, you would move me out of the way, decrease me until I'm nothing, that my words won't come forth, but your words will come forth today. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you are speaking and communicating to your people, your church, and your table today. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it all. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to talk about some table manners. And there's three specifically that we're going to talk about today. And then we'll, we'll go a little further into some things next week. But first of all, when we assemble together... At this table. This is the table the Lord has given us. This is the table the Lord has put together. This is the table that the Lord has sent every person that's at the table this morning to the table. But I want you to notice every time that we assemble ourselves together at the table, number one, the meal should heal. The meal should heal. I want you to notice that Jesus stops right in the middle of this meal to heal somebody. In fact, he actually puts the folks on notice that the Sabbath is actually a great time to be healed. See, the Pharisees didn't believe you should do anything on the Sabbath, and they were seated at the table with him, but he instructed them, hey, who wouldn't save a child or an animal that fell down a well even if it was the Sabbath? He's saying it's all right to heal and be interrupted on the Sabbath. See, the problem with the church is, and here's where I want to correlate this, too often we have made our fellowship as believers, more about seeing and being seen. That's what we've made church about a lot in the day that we live in, seeing and being seen. But Jesus shows us that our meals should heal. Do you hear me? Every time we get together, this should not just be another assembly together at the table, but the meal that's served up from the appetizer that begins when the call to worship is made to the first course that's given out in the, in the worship uh, set to the next course that's given out in the word to the next course that we enter into uh, in the altar service every aspect of the meal should heal whether it's physical healing spiritual healing mental healing emotional healing there's times that I come to this building I need healing from stress anybody ever need healing from stress the meal that we serve up should always heal that's what Jesus is communicating to us here this time together Every week or in the middle of the week for those of you that attend on Wednesday nights. And by the way, let me throw this out there. If you missed this past Wednesday night, the night of worship meal that was served up was very healing. There was two people gave their heart to Jesus Christ on Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. But every time we assemble together, and I believe the Lord is communicating this to us now, not just for where we're going, but partly because of where we're going. Every time we assemble together, every week, we should uh, focus on the needs of others and deal with those needs. It should be significant. Every service should be significant. You say, Pastor, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. No, not really. I've got more to do, and so do you than to just come to church so I can say I came to church. Thank you for the one hand clap I got. I need to come to church with the outlook and the idea that it should be significant. Every song sang should be significant. Every exhortation given should be significant. Every time the word is preached, it ought to be significant. 
And every time uh, an opportunity is given to you to respond to the preached word, it ought to be significant. Every altar service should be significant. What It should accomplish something that can only be accomplished through and by God's Spirit. Listen, Bishop Moody couldn't be, Chris Moody couldn't be with us today. I'm not happy that he's sick, but I'm fully confident that it wasn't meant for him to be here. I love him and I respect him and I love to hear him preach. But what we need doesn't come from Chris Moody. What we need doesn't come from Sean Disney. What we need doesn't come from any large evangelist or a singing group or anybody else. What we need comes only through and by God's Spirit. And that makes it significant. So I asked you the question today, have you looked around yourself today? Or has, the, so far in this service, have you really looked around yourself? Or has this service been so far... Like it is for many of us a lot of times, has it been about you getting your grub on? You come and getting what you wanted. Or maybe you just, you, you know, you want to come and you want to partake of, of what you liked. Anybody ever been invited to somebody's house for dinner and one of the things they served up was something you didn't like but they didn't know you didn't like it? So they put it all on your plate and you eat the things you like and you move the stuff you don't like around? And make it look like you ate part of it. And hope and pray that they don't notice how much of it gets raked into the garbage. Anybody ever been there? See, fortunately that doesn't happen for me a lot. Because there's not a whole lot I don't like. But, you know what I'm talking about. And I just said that to say this. We do that with church. Mm -hmm. We want to chow down on the stuff that tastes good to us. But you serve us up something healthy. Like a salad without dressing. Broccoli casserole without rich crackers and cheese. Couldn't you even imagine? And then we want to take what we like and discard what we don't. Well, let me tell you what happens when we do that. That's why I said a minute ago, every table is not the Lord's table. Sometimes that's how you end up with some tables with a bunch of unhealthy Christians sitting around them. A bunch of spiritually overweight people. What are you talking about? The people that go for all the sugar and the fat. I like the sugar and the fat too. You can tell by looking at me. But sometimes, spiritually, you got to digest the stuff that don't taste so good to you. If you're going to sit at the Lord's table. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Maybe you just came here to have your own need met, or maybe you just came here so that you could, this happens a lot, if we're honest, so that you could say you did and go on and get on with the rest of your day and your week. But have you actually taken time to notice the pain, notice the sickness, notice the needs of people who might be seated two rows behind you or two rows in front of you? Why? I'm going to ask a question that might appall some of you. But why gather every week if all we're going to do is eat and leave? Why gather if all we're going to do is eat and leave every week? As I already said, that leads us to being unhealthy Christians. If we consume and we never give out, we take in but we never utilize what we're consuming to touch the lives of others. And I want to ask you another question. Have you ever been to church or maybe just hung out in fellowship with other believers 
and it did anything but heal you. Anybody ever been there? I don't want us to become that church or those people. we got to come to the table with the attitude that Jesus had. And here's that attitude that Jesus had. Jesus came to the table basically saying, I expect for this meal to get interrupted with a need. Chew on that for a minute. I got up when I got up this morning at 5.30 and prayed. I said, God, I'd love nothing more than for you to interrupt today's services with a need. I'd love nothing more for you to interrupt today's services with an altar full of people with needs. I'd love nothing more than for, because Jesus came to the table expecting to be interrupted by a need. We should come to church expecting to be used by our Father to meet the needs of others. We ought to have a focus that I won't nourish myself before I nourish somebody else. If you don't believe me, go back and check how many times Jesus healed around the table in the Bible. I was, I was amazed as I began to read through that uh, yesterday morning. Many times, so many examples, I, I, had, I thought this is a series, this is not one message. But he often healed physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs around a table. So I ask you this morning, who have you touched and whose life have you impacted after you got your praise on last week? Who did you touch and whose life did you impact after the night of worship Wednesday night? Who have you elevated as you encountered the Lord this morning? Our meal should always heal. It doesn't just occur at a special time of prayer when we're praying for healing. I'm talking about, and again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not just, I was walking around in that new lobby uh, this week. And I, I was praying out loud and I just said, Lord, let people feel your presence. When they enter the doors and they're just in this lobby. But I want to tell you something. If that building burns down tomorrow, and I hope and pray that that wouldn't happen. But if something happened and that building burned down tomorrow when we're less than two months away or around two months away from getting in it. God still can do a mighty work in this city right where we sit. So we can't think that the next six or eight weeks are insignificant because everything's pushing toward uh, to that new building. No, it's, it's important every single time we gather together at the table. We ought, regardless of where it is, we ought to ex- come expecting God to interrupt us with a need and meet a need every time we come to that table. I'm talking about the atmosphere in the lobby. It's important. You might, be, you might think you're insignificant door greeting, but we don't just have you out there to look pretty. All of you aren't pretty. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Cheryl said, no, you're not. She done called the pastor out. Lord have mercy. But we don't, that's not the reason. Do you realize the reason is you may be the person that makes somebody feel welcomed to come and sit down at this table and receive what's being served up. Parking lot ministry? You may be the person that, you have no idea how many times people have told me it was all I could do to get myself from the car to the door, uh, from the park, through the parking lot because I just fought myself to get there. I knew I was supposed to be here, but it was just, it was tough. You might be the person on the parking lot that causes somebody to feel welcomed to pull up a seat at the table. And here's another one for you. You might go into a bathroom and find it a mess after we've had one service. And you wasn't the one that created the mess. And you might think, it ain't my mess, I ain't cleaning it up. But if you clean it up, 
You might be the person that made things easy and accommodating for the next person that came in who might have already been fighting themselves to get to the door and then they came in the, in the foyer and wasn't welcomed in there and then they went in the restroom and found a mess. Do you hear your pastor this morning? Every job is significant to what we bring to the table. I'm talking about the times even before service when we're hanging out before or after service. But I've even seen it and I'm thankful I have. In this church there have been times where there have been people just fellowshipping after service was over. And you might just be talking to somebody else and all of a sudden somewhere over in the corner of the sanctuary you'll hear people praying out because they're praying with one another. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. I long for the days when people tell you, and actually a few weeks ago I heard this, so I, I want to give testimony of this. Somebody visited this church who doesn't, they, they, they're a member of another church, I think, uh, Grace on the Hill in South Corbin, and I didn't try to pull them from their church, but you know what they said to me? They said, the reason I came and visited today was every time I drive by this parking lot, there's something that's drawing me in, pulling me in to come in there. And I just had to come visit today, and I'm so glad I did. I want to tell you, church, I long for those days. I don't know if anybody else does, but I remember those days where people used to get drawn in just driving down the road. I remember those days where sinners would sit in a service, and they couldn't. They would try to leave. They'd feel drawn to the altar and try to leave. And then before you knew it, God would just set up a glass door at the the back door that they'd hit like a wall and they couldn't get out and you'd find them running to the altar for salvation I'm looking for a time where somebody don't have to lay hands on somebody but somebody else gets a physical healing right in the middle of worship somebody else gets saved the altars pile full deliverance happens drug addicts get set free right in the middle of worship right while we're at the table doesn't have to be somebody special laying hands on them doesn't have to be a particular song being sang doesn't have to be a certain preacher up preaching but because of the presence of God and because we pulled up a chair at God's table and not just any table we find things happen that only happen when God is present at the table but that only happens if we have that expectation and we have those manners that he's teaching us in place and by the way the best way before I move on to number two the best way to come to the table it's with your eyes on Jesus and not on anybody else. I've heard it said before, oh, I can't visit. And I'm not specifically talking about this church. I've just heard it said before. Oh, I can't visit that church because so-and-so goes there. Take your eyes off so-and-so. Put your eyes on Jesus. So-and-so might have hurt your feelings, but Jesus won't hurt your feelings. So-and-so might have left you out, but Jesus won't leave you out. So-and-so might have not been able to do what you needed or wanted them to do, but Jesus can do anything you need in your life. Get your eyes on Jesus. The second thing is, and y'all are probably going to laugh. The 845 crowd laughed at me. I wasn't trying to come up with a fun, punny way to say this, but we're talking about table manners, and I'm just going to say it this way. When you're at the table, don't blow your nose and get your elbows off the table. Has anybody ever been at a restaurant where somebody who obviously wasn't taught table manners blows their horn at the table next to you? There's nothing more unappetizing than that experience. So why did I, Lord, somebody's feeling the spirit on that. Why did, why did I say that? The word of God is clear. Here's what I'm talking about. The word of God is clear that pride comes before a fall. If you're going to have good table manners, we can't be blowing our nose. And by that, one of the things I mean is, we can't be nosy. Why are Christian people some of the nosiest people you'll ever find in your life? 
Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And if you're not careful, you're like, no, what happened? <laughs> Don't be nosy. In other words, we got to also keep our nose out of the air. We can't, you know, my mama used to say some people, if it rained, they'd drown. We can't allow pride to get in our hearts. See, the dinner guests Jesus was talking about and that he was talking to, they were nosy. They were literally fighting to be the center of attention. But I, I, I want to say this before I go on and get to that part. When I talk about pride being in our heart, let me just say this. The Word of God says, and if you know it, quote it with me. There is none righteous, no, not one. So, unhealthy Christians that I talked about a minute ago, you know, those that are taking just what they want to eat and pushing back the plate on the rest of it, sometimes they do unhealthy things. Sometimes they post unhealthy pictures on social media. Sometimes they go to unhealthy places. And sometimes they do unhealthy things. But can I tell you something? It doesn't benefit us or the kingdom one bit to talk about it. The only thing that works is when we pray about it. Because I've, I've learned that I've got faults of my own. I'm by far, you just ask my wife or my children, I'm by far not perfect. I'm not. So you know what? There may be some things that I see that unhealthy Christians do, but if I'll spend my time working on me, I won't have time to talk about that. I'll just take time to pray about that. That's what I mean. These people, though, they also literally fought to be the center of attention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly. Jesus is basically saying, mind your own manners. No power plays. No position pushes. Instead, we've got to be about preference. We've got to prefer one another. In other words, my greatest thought when I get to church uh, should not be whether or not my need is met. My greatest thought should be whether or not your need is met. And your greatest thought when you come to church should not be whether or not your need is met, but whether or not somebody else's need is met. And in addition to that, can I tell you something? We must make room at the table for others. We must. We must make room at the table for others. And then once we make room for them, we got to prefer that they get served before we do. we got to prefer that they get their needs met before we do. We've already established I love to eat. My grandma could make the best homemade apple pie you've ever put in your mouth. Now, if you think yours is better, make me one and I'll let you know. <laughs> That's good, wasn't it? But anyway... She made the best apple pie I'd ever eaten. And one day we showed up to her house to visit. She didn't have a whole apple pie. She had some apple pie left. And she began to start to serve us apple pie when there was another knock at the door. So then we're all at, in the kitchen, us kids, waiting on, well, me and my sister, and uh, waiting on apple pie. And I think maybe one of my cousins was there. But then some neighbors from down the road knocked on the door and they come in. Guess what instantly happened? My slice of pie got cut in half. And shared with somebody else. And I sat there and I thought, if you'd waited just about five minutes before you knocked on that door, I wouldn't have had to share my apple pie. Well, that might be funny. But we do the very same thing at the table of God. We do the very same thing 
at the table of God. But when we get to the place that we prefer other people to be served before we are, God blesses us in return. I want you to go back and think about this this morning or this afternoon. Go back and contemplate the four men who helped their friend get to Jesus by cutting a hole in the roof. You know the story. They cut the hole in the roof and they led him down to where Jesus is. But I began to think about that yesterday. And you know what? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. But is it possible, could it be possible that those four men themselves had something that they personally needed from Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? They might have had something. Their need wasn't physical, obviously, like his was, because he couldn't get to Jesus for himself. But we don't have any idea. They might have had a financial need. They might have had a spiritual need. They might have had a relationship need. Maybe things wasn't all well on the home front. They might have had a need in their life that needed a touch from the Lord. But they had, they had a better opportunity to go and get a hold of Jesus physically for themselves in the flesh than their friend had. But instead, what did they do? They preferred his need over theirs and went to the extent that they cut the hole in that roof and they lowered him down so that he could get to be with Jesus. God help us to be a people that will put our four and no more aside, who will put our personal preferences aside and be the person that will say, God, yeah, I've got a need in my life, but I see that need and that's a great need and I'm willing to work with somebody else to cut a hole in the roof and to pull up the weight to lower them down so that they can get to Jesus. God help us be those kind of people in that kind of church. So I ask you this afternoon, whose need have you made more important than yours? It isn't that you don't have a need, but it's just, it's just that you prefer somebody else's miracle over your own. Stop just a second and think about this. Who seated in this building right now, if they received a miracle, would cause you to be as blessed as you would if you received your own miracle yourself? I can instantly think of somebody that would bless me more if they received a miracle in this service this morning than me receiving a miracle for myself is. But if you couldn't think of anybody and the answer was no one, you might have a nose problem. Mm -hmm. Because you made this all about you. So my prayer is that this week you'll apply this message and you'll find somebody that you'll prefer they get a miracle. You'll find somebody that you'll come every week just to see them get healed. Just to see them get blessed. Just to see them get set free or delivered. May I suggest that some of us would be more blessed and would benefit more if we could get some of the folks around us to the table with Jesus rather than using every Sunday or every service or every prayer time to just get our needs met. We need to be asking ourselves every week, God, who do you want me to take to the table this Sunday or Wednesday? Paul admonishes us in Romans to compete with one another, and that may sound like it's in contrast to what we're talking about this morning, but listen to it. It's not. Listen carefully. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So if we're going to compete, let's compete in how much we show honor to one another. Let's, let's compete in how much we prefer another person over ourselves, And then Jesus makes it clear that throwing our elbows is not kingdom behavior. Remember in the message translation, he actually talked about your elbows. You know, you can't get away with throwing elbows in basketball, so why do we think we can get away with it in church? Right? Francis Chan, if you don't know who that is, he's a great preacher and Bible teacher. I looked for a quote that was already typed in a picture to put it on the screen, but 
I didn't find one, but listen to what he said. He said, it's not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is rather a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Think about that. That's what it is. So Jesus doesn't like entourages. He don't like pride parades. And not the kind you just popped in your mind either. He don't like those either. But remember, he said the first shall be the last. And the last shall be the first. There's a little song. I thought about Miss Jeannie Hilton who went on to be with the Lord recently. There's a little song they used to sing at preschool. And they would teach kids table manners. And the lyrics said uh, something about like this. It said, get your elbows off the table. Well, I'll use John as an example. Get your elbows off the table, John. We've seen you do it twice, and it isn't very nice. Get your elbows off the table. They would sing that song as they were t- teaching table manners, and one of those little wiggles or one of those groups of people sung that song uh, to teach kid, t- kids table manners. I just told you that because, honestly, I think one of the things missing in the church today is accountability. And I'm giving you a license this morning. If your heart's right, when you see somebody else in the kingdom trying to demand their own way, trying to fight for attention, trying to step on other people to get their needs met or get to where they want to be, just walk up to them and whisper in their ear, particularly if they heard this message today, get your elbows off the table. That's what we need to do. Listen, we need to hold people accountable again in the church. The reason that lost people don't want to be saved is because there's no accountability in the church. So why do, we, why, do, why do we think they should be held accountable? It's interesting to me, though, that as soon as you begin to prefer other people over yourself, that's when your needs are met. And the third thing I want to talk about this morning, and I'm going to close, find somebody who can't return the favor. Did you notice how Jesus talked about that specifically? Jesus identifies a key tendency within us, and that is that we tend to hang out with folks that can give back to us. Our unspoken thought and question is, what can you do for me? We like to show favor and honor to those that can reciprocate that. And we end up failing to share favor with those who can't repay us. But when we do that, we miss out on being repaid by the one who can repay. We clump up with other people like us, right? I'm going to say something this morning that people probably won't like, but it applies to all of us. Jesus is a click buster. Let that sink in. Jesus is a click buster. Jesus is a comfort zone destroyer. You say, oh, I only hang out with them because I'm comfortable around them. Well, Jesus is a comfort zone destroyer. He demands, listen to me, he demands that his church reach out to the marginalized and the misfits. The wrong side of the track, folks, got to be more than just welcome. We think we let ourselves off the hook by saying, oh, they're welcome here. But listen, we got to go beyond that. And we got to make sure that they receive an invitation to the table. Did you hear me? If we'll make our focus about that, I promise you, God will bless us beyond anything you can imagine. But it, it, see, it used to be the folks from the wrong side of the tracks were just maybe poor people. But today, the wrong side isn't just about income. Listen, there's folks all around us that make more money than we do, but they're still misfits. There's folks all around us that feel unwelcome when it comes to eating with Jesus or with us. They feel and sense that they're unwelcome. They feel like they don't belong. 
They feel like there's no place that they fit in. Can I tell you this, this afternoon? We must flip the favor. We must flip the favor. we got to learn to welcome at the table every background, every socioeconomic status, every color, every breed, every, in this day and time, this is a real one, every hair color, every sexual orientation, tattooed and not tattooed, the unexpected, the unwanted, and the unloved. Because when we do that, we open the door for favor to be repaid to us by God Almighty. Now, I want to tell you something today. We did a good job of that, and I know she's in Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge this weekend. We did a good job of that with Michaela Phelps. We did. And we saw firsthanded what happens when God does something, when you welcome them in and show them true, genuine Christian love, and you allow God to do the work, not only did God do what he did in her life, but have you even stopped to realize how blessed we are just because she's here? God blessed this church greatly because of that. But I want to tell you something. There's a whole lot more than just one Michaela Phelps right outside those doors. There's a whole lot more. Uh, uh, we, we know what, what all of that represents, but there's a whole lot more drug addicts besides one or two that have been delivered. There's a whole lot more than uh, one or two homosexuals to be delivered. There's a whole lot more than one or two alcoholics. Somebody help your pastor preach this morning. There's a whole lot more. We need to welcome everybody to the table. That doesn't mean that when they get to the table, we won't preach the word. We won't give them love. Uh, we will in love give them the truth. We'll serve up. Are you following me this morning? Are you with? The, are you where I am? When they get to the table, we won't just serve them the fat and the sugar. We'll also serve them the healthy stuff for them to chew on and digest, but we're going to love them. We're going to welcome them to the table. We're going to invite them in. We're going to make them feel like they fit, even when they don't look like they fit. I told the 845 crowd this morning, you may think I'm crazy, but my heart's desire is this. I've already told the Lord, if He'll fill that new sanctuary, I don't care if it looks like a prison service when you walk in with a bunch of people that are tatted up, painted up, spray painted, uh, blue hair, pink hair, yellow hair, uh, half dressed some of them because they ain't learned how to dress yet it doesn't matter to me if God will send them in I want to invite them to the table because I've been chewing on something I've been digesting something I've been dining at this table for years and I know what they don't know and I want to give them what I've got but in order to do that we got to get them to the table They'll come to the music today and you'll stand with me all over the room. To be practical, I just want to say, greet somebody you've never greeted before. Try that out. You say, oh, I'm not, I'm not, that's just not me, I'm not comfortable. Well, get out of that comfort zone. Greet somebody that you've never greeted before. Sit next to somebody who's sitting by themselves. Pray for somebody who has never prayed for you and may never pray for you. Invite somebody who don't fit in, but give them a place at the table and make them feel like they fit. We need to ask ourselves some questions, I believe, as a church. 
then we need to realize the only way to create this culture that I'm preaching about and what the Lord has laid upon my heart in our church. We have a lot of it, but, but we, the Lord's taken us somewhere. We're not there yet. And the only way to create this culture within our church is for each of us to ask ourselves individually these questions. Are we practicing good table manners? Are we making sure that we contribute to the healing that takes place around the table? Are we preferring others? And are we favoring the unfavorable? This, this afternoon, I think that we need to spend some time in prayer with the Father, asking Him, God, who do you want me to bring to the table? God, who has a need that needs to be met? Some of us need to simply address the way we've been looking at the table. Make sure that we're making room for everybody and inviting everybody in. Making sure that no matter what our part or our contribution is, making sure that they get a meal that heals them when they get here. Making this whole thing more about others than it is about us. And making sure that we're minding our table manners. We're feeding those that can't return the favor. We're loving, giving, serving, and expecting nothing in return. Because listen to your pastor today. These things are what open the door for God to show us favor. And when I say favor, I don't mean tithes, attendance, and more names on the roster. When I talk about God showing us favor, I'm talking about God pouring out His Spirit on a church. I'm talking about true revival. One of our sister churches in Lexington, this is Lexington, Kentucky now, not Corbin. This would be hard-pressed in Corbin in southeastern Kentucky. But in Lexington, Kentucky, where people are, are even probably more focused on their careers, their jobs, their children's sporting events, and all those different things, we got a sister church up there having real revival that's gone on for over three weeks. Real revival. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know if that church will be at camp meeting or if they'll just continue on with their revival because they got it going on right where, right where they're at. God's poured out real revival on them. When we do these things that I'm talking about, We'll open the door of heaven, the window of heaven, for God to pour out favor upon His church. And we can be a part of something much greater than ourselves. So today, I'm not going to make it fancy. I'm going to make it simple. First of all, if you're in here, but you've not really pulled up a seat to the table, Jesus will be the best decision you'll ever make. And I promise you, this altar service will be the best part of the meal you've ever eaten. But I also want to challenge the rest of us where you come forward and pray in this altar or you find a place to pray at your seat. I want you to pray and say, God, what do you want from me at your table? God, what do you want from me at your table? Because we want your faith.